Hello and welcome to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. And historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is John Keeley. And my name is Jay Swords. This is the podcast segment of the show that's not broadcast on station KALA. Our guest for this 389th show is Dr. Justin Holmes. Associate Professor of Political Science at the University of Northern Iowa, who will be talking to us about the 2020 elections. Our history buffs are Rick Sweet and Ed Broders. Ed, why don't you start us off this time? Thanks, Jay. I'm Dr. Holmes. One of the things uh, when I see political labels uh, applied to the Republicans, um, they're consistently labeled as conservatives. and I don't see them that way at all, given that a conservative, in my view, is someone who doesn't want to rock the boat, go slow, and for heaven's sakes, doesn't bankrupt the country. So why are we not seeing more media um, people correctly identifying these Republicans as the radical reactionaries that they are? You know, that's that's an interesting question, um, and, and I think there's a, a gamut. You know, I mean, you do have, I, I think, some sort of traditional Republicans that are, are, are still out there. But, yeah, I mean, there, there is, you know, I think inherent in the idea of conservatism is that, you know, there could be change, it's just slow. Uh, whereas, uh, you know, even in the slogan, Make America Great Again, you know, it's, it's sort of like we're taking it back to some point in the past, uh, is, is sort of the feeling there. Um, you know, I, I think some of it is that, that um, you know, conservatives have been fairly good at sort of working the refs with journalists. Um, they're pretty good at messaging and, uh, you know, trying to to get their, their point of view out there uh, while simultaneously sort of, uh, you know, pushing journalists, you know, it's always, you know, even before Trump, you know, was yelling fake news, uh, you know, conservatives have been complaining about their press treatment for years. And I think some of that sort of cuts off some criticism. Um, you know, if you look at some of the claims of bias and things, um, you know, if you look at, say, the Sunday morning talk shows and, and whatnot, they have substantially more Republican guests than Democratic ones. Um, and, you know, frankly, the kind of gamut of, of liberals that they have uh, is is fairly centrist. So, you know, I, I, I don't know. Uh, a lot of the mainstream press just doesn't want to push on, on that point too much, it doesn't feel like. Rick. Well, thanks, Jay. Uh, Justin, uh, I want to shift some gears. Um, the results in Iowa, Iowa historically has been viewed as a competitive state, uh, Democrat versus Republican. Uh, mm-hmm. This election, uh, with which was, I, I agree with you in, your, in the broadcast version, it was kind of a test of Trump's personality rejection. But in Iowa, only six metro counties uh uh, went Democrat. The other 93 went rural, and the governor mm-hmm. has the go- governor has proclaimed that uh, this demonstrates uh, Iowa's acceptance of her brilliant leadership. Uh, this seems to be like Iowa's going going more Republican than Democrat. Is this just the cycle we're in, or do you see something something happening, good or bad? You know, it's a it's a 
it's tough to know. Uh, you know, that, that's where historians have the advantage is that you can look at stuff afterwards and instead of, uh, you know, looking at it uh, kind of in the middle of things. Um, you know, a couple thoughts I have, I guess. You know, one, um, you know, if, if you look at the map, uh, you know, that Iowa map, it's, you know, six little blue dots and a sea of red. But, you know, it is closer than that makes it look, uh, you know, because those six dots are where an awful lot of people live. Uh, you know, one of them is Polk County, uh, which is, you know, dramatically bigger. Uh, and a lot of those red counties, you know, they have 10,000 people living in them. Uh, and so, sure. you know, it's it's more competitive than, than that version of things would, would look, of course. But I do think, you know, the broader point here is is this question of, you know, is Iowa going to continue to be a swing state? Uh, or are we moving more, you know, red? And I, I think to an extent, people were asking that question prior to 2008. And then Obama wins twice, which kind of solidifies this as, as you know, swingy on the national level. Uh, but then for Trump to win twice and, and win decisively, you know, both times, um, and to have a Republican governor, and especially then these congressional races and things, you know, that does call some stuff uh, in, into question. Um, you know, I, I've got, I guess, a couple, a couple thoughts. Um, you know, one is that to an extent, I, I do think Trump notwithstanding, some of the conditions were fairly favorable for, you know, Republicans as, as incumbents. Um, I was a little surprised, honestly, uh, you know, I live in the first district and, and the Finkenauer Hinson race, uh, you know, Hinson's a quality challenger. She's got a public profile. She's got a, a background in government and whatnot. Um, but it was kind of odd, you know, Finkenauer seemed to be generally pretty popular and whatnot. Uh, and it felt like the district had just pushed, you know, substantially more Republican uh, than it has in, in the past. Um, some of that could be demographic change. Uh, you know, I, I get a sense, uh, you know, people do, people don't necessarily move because of politics, but they often do move on things that are related to politics. Uh, and I do get the sense that, you know, kind of some of our kind of younger, more liberal people, uh, you know, as they graduate college, they either concentrate sort of in the Des Moines area, which is going to dilute their influence over the rest of the state, or frankly, you know, some of them go to Minneapolis and Chicago. Uh, and, and you know, we, we do have a fair amount of out-migration, uh, you know, could be part of that story. Some of it, I think, is also the Democratic Party's institutional capacity. Uh, you know, they just, um, you know, the bench is a little shallow right now, you know, when, when the Republicans kind of, uh, you know, have a bulk of the House seats and the bulk of the state Senate seats. And it gets hard to recruit people, uh, you know, so fielding good challengers uh, and financing good challengers and things, uh, you know, becomes kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy uh, for them, unfortunately. And so, you know, I don't know if this is part of a bigger trend or not. Um, you know, Reynolds, I've been surprised, um, you know, given the, the, the state of COVID right now, you know, her overall approval has been pretty robust. Um, so... You know, I'm not sure. I don't want to prognosticate too much, but it certainly feels like the Republicans are having a real moment in Iowa. Okay. Uh, well, then to ask this question, um, let's a little get go back to the national. I truly believe, and Jay and I have talked about this, that the course is a huge divide between urban and rural. And mm -hmm. Todd uh, and Donald Trump was mm -hmm. able to pull the rural vote out like I'd never seen in my lifetime 
And it, it truly drove people who did polls insane because a lot of these individuals uh, had no interest in politics. I, I think a great question would be is, um, by 2024, go back to ask these people who supported Trump so much, how many other presidential elections did they vote in? And mm-hmm. I, I have a guess that, you know what, that they voted more strongly during 2016 and 20 than they'd ever really had many times before. So who is going to be the voice for the Republicans? Because I must admit, people forget that there were 14 candidates or 15 candidates that ran against Donald Trump in 2016. And they did nothing to appeal to the Trump base. It was President Trump coming along and giving them what they thought the voice they were looking for. Um, Do you see other Republicans possibly filling in that gap now people are talking about him running in 24 but he also has some issues that he has to deal with once he gets out of office too that it's not going to be just you know beer and skittles for him so looking into your crystal ball there uh what do you possibly see well that's that's a fantastic question um you know 2024 trump i feel like is kind of a long shot in in a lot of ways um you know, not just, uh, you know, potential legal things or whatever afterwards, but, you know, a couple of things that, that I think hurt him, uh, potentially hurt him down the road. Uh, you know, so much of his brand is success. You know, if you think about sort of the Donald Trump story going back to the 80s, uh, you know, I remember, you know, back when I was a kid, I mean, he was famous for being successful. You know, that, that's his whole brand. Um, and to lose, that hurts. You know, um, he's he's popular. It's sort of a self-fueling thing. You know, he's popular because he's successful, and he's successful because he's popular. Take some of that away, and I'm not sure if some of the shine doesn't come off even for some of those voters. Um, you know, the other issue for him as a 24 candidate um, is he's going to be three years older. Uh, and, you know, I felt like he was not as strong on the campaign trail this time as he was in 16. Uh, you know, he appeared to be a little unsteady at times, a little more rambly at times. I'm not sure what another three years does to that, uh, in, in all honesty. The question then becomes, you know, who's, who's out there that's a Republican contender for 2020, uh, 2024? And part of him dragging this out is that, you know, we don't see yet the emergence of those folks. Um, I remember in 2008, uh, you know, in November, uh, Mike Huckabee was in Des Moines signing books uh, two days after the election. Uh, and we're not going to have that here. But, you know, I would be inclined, uh, you know, Tom Cotton and Josh Hawley seem to be two people that are sort of trying to raise their profiles and have a, a little bit of that appeal. Uh, you know, Ted Cruz really has been trying to raise his visibility, although it seems like people just viscerally don't like him a whole lot, uh, a lot of people anyway. Uh, so I I don't know. You know, I mean, Trump is just such a unique individual that way having that non-governmental background and things. And, you know, I don't know who speaks to that contingent exactly. Um, It could be another outsider. uh, You know, it could be a governor of some sort. But there's not a clear heir to this. Um, You know, the other possibility would be one of his kids, I suppose. Um, You know, Don Jr. and Ivanka both poll in double digits when asking about 2024. But I just don't know that they have the background. You know, I, you know, Trump um, at least was able to present himself as, as kind of a success, and you know, they largely present themselves just as his kids. So, boy, I don't know. It's going to be tough to see. 
I thought you were going to say Jared, but that's okay. No, uh, <laughs> Jay. Yeah, J- Jared's problem is he's got the, you know, he's he's got no charisma. Uh, you know, he, he he's he's you know, policy wise, I think he might be fairly close to Trump, but you know, part of part of Trump is the bombast. You know, I mean, he is he's a showman, and and you know, he is. It's the darndest thing, you know. You've got a guy that lives in a, you know, lives in a gilded penthouse apartment, looking over Central Park, and you know, turns himself into the voice of the working man. And you know, I just don't think, you know, Jared's got the personality for that. <laughs> Jay, all right. So, Justin, this I think will be our last, uh, our last question here. I want to come sure. back to that urban-rural divide. Um, Democrats were certainly surprised that they didn't appeal better in rural districts. Mm-hmm. Um, and and Republicans are certainly becoming aware, in many ways you could argue, that they lost this election because in key states, suburbia bailed on Trump. So my, my question to you is, what issues do you think each party can bring to the table that might appeal and change those uh, those trends going forward. Yeah, you know, so the, the last couple elections have really seen an upending. You know, the, the standard divide was sort of the urban, suburban, rural, uh, as, as you point out, and that's a long-standing, long-standing sort of divide. Um, you know, I, I think one thing that Democrats need to do in in rural areas is you know they need to make sure they're running people all the way down the ticket. Um, you know, even if they're running people that aren't winning, at least they're out there competing, uh, which helps a little bit. In terms of issues, you know, there are some that are on the table that I, I think, you know, Democrats have dropped the ball on a little bit. Um, you know, Republicans do really well in rural areas on, on social issues. Um, I think that's a lot of what drives this uh, is, you know, that, that um, you know, people in rural areas on average are fairly conservative on these things, and Republicans speak to that quite well. A couple things that I think Democrats could potentially, some interesting things that happened this year. Um, the Missouri passed the $15 an hour minimum wage, um, while electing Republicans up and down the ticket. Um, and I think that's one that, you know, Democrats could have an edge on. They've been afraid to touch that, in all honesty. Uh, but that's the kind of thing that, you know, if you're a working class rural voter, um, that could be pretty appealing, you know, put some more money in somebody's pocket. Um, Frankly, another one would be marijuana legalization. Uh, If you look how well all of those things did, uh, I mean, that's not maybe a a rural thing exactly. Uh, But gosh, you know, South Dakota legalized marijuana uh, last uh, last week. Uh, You know, so jumping on some of those... The the irony for Democrats is they have a lot of policies that are pretty popular. Um, You know, if you just look at them in the abstract, and they don't do a real good job pushing them. Um, You know, I I think uh, some sort of stimulus for rural America might be the other thing. You know, if they could do something, uh, you know, not quite like the TVA or anything, but... You know, a lot of rural America is having a pretty tough time. Uh, you know, cities are shrinking, businesses are leaving, you know, et cetera. Uh, and, and if they could cook up a, a solid sort of rural revitalization package of some sort, you know, I think that could broaden their appeal a little bit, too. Okay. We would like to thank our guests for the 389th show. 
Dr. Justin Holmes, Associate Professor of Political Science at the University of Northern Iowa, who talked to us about the 2020 elections. The History Bus for today's show were Rick Sweet and Ed Broders. You can listen to ROI as it's being broadcast on Friday nights on KALA HD2, 88.5 FM and 106.1 FM in the Quad City region at 9.30 p.m. You can also listen to the show as it's being broadcast on TuneIn.com. Put KALA HD2 in the search box and look for ROI. Many of our previously recorded shows can be heard at SoundCloud.com. Just put KALA Radio in the search, click on the first icon and scroll down to find ROI shows. You can also find ROI on all your favorite streaming platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcast, and Google Podcast. ROI is recorded at station KALA, St. Ambrose University.